G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. It's always fascinating to get a snapshot of Australian belief. Now, the last census told us that 62% of us aligned with Christianity. But there might be some changes as the latest census data is released a little later this year. In fact, as I understand it, the 11th of April is the time when the national data will be released. So is there likely to be an anticipated shock uh, to any of the things we understand about faith in Australia? Well, it's good to be able to welcome a special guest to join us for a conversation over this next hour, Mark McCrindle, an award-winning social researcher, best-selling author and influential thought leader. He's regularly commissioned to deliver strategy and advice to the boards and executive committees of some of Australia's leading organisations. He is our special guest over this next hour, so a special welcome to you, Mark McCrindle. Oh, thanks so much, Neil. Great to be with you. Mark, always, I always just uh, think these opportunities to tap your understanding and knowledge about what's going on in Australia are just so, so valuable. When we talk about the uh, the coming census data, uh, 11th of April, that's when the national data is being released. Uh, we have our ideas about what faith is like in Australia, about what Christians and the church, uh, those sorts of statistics uh, are saying uh, in Australia, but is there likely to be a shock uh, when those those new figures come out? Well, I think the trend lines are pretty clear, and I think we're just going to see that we're continuing on those trend lines, and that is the, the decline of the proportion of Australians identifying their religion as, as one or other of the Christian dom- denominations. Um, as you said, it's a bit over the 61% in five years ago. Uh, Five years prior to that, if we go back to 2006, it was 64%. In 2001, it was 68%. So we've been dropping three or four percentage points per year. Now, we, we may recall that uh, in the lead-up to last, last August's uh, census, there was quite the campaign of people putting posters up around the place saying, choose no religion. You know, don't, if you're not active with Christianity, you're not a churchgoer, don't put Christianity. Um, now, it'll be interesting to see whether that has had any any bigger impact than the than the broader trend line we saw anyway. But I think we'll end up with a result that has uh, probably a three or four percentage point decline from the 61, um, but it'll still be the mid-50s or, 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 um, or thereabouts, uh, which still means that the majority of Australians on this voluntary question in the census will identify their religion as Christianity. So I think that's where it'll probably settle. Uh, so the shock will be expect the trend to continue. But of course, uh, as you were reflecting, uh, where there was that campaign in the lead up to the census for people to tick the no religion box, uh, there'd be some who would be saying that there was almost a, a hijacking of the census question that moved that no religion box to the top of the list and all the other denominations down lower. Uh, do you think that's going to have a major impact on the way people will have responded to the census question? That does have an impact. When there is a change to, to a census process, 
to a question structure, it does have a noticeable impact. Now, if we go back to the 1970s, uh, they changed the, the no religion question, and it used to be a box with no religion, and if you didn't write anything on that question, you were, def you were in the, the not otherwise defined. In other words, the statisticians would say, well, we, we can't say they've got no religion. They've just chosen none of the above. They've left the question blank. For all we know, they might be a Christian. They just left it blank. However, from 1971 on, they said, well, look, if you've left it blank, we're going to put you down as the no religion. So we saw the proportion of people identifying no religion went from essentially zero to one in 20, uh, <laughs> almost overnight with the new center. So, so it does have an impact. And as you said, Neil, the, 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 um, the, uh, the no religion used to be uh, well down the list. Uh, in fact, it was at the bottom. It's now the first option that you see, um, which is perhaps... Um, it, it's perhaps slightly unusual. I mean, it does save people going all the way down the list, but, uh, but normally what follows is that we look at what's the most common option. Let's put that there, and then the second most common. Now, we know from the previous census that we have about 23% of the population uh, choosing no religion in total. Um, however, uh, you've got about 26% choosing the Catholic faith. In, in a lot of areas, you've got uh, about that or more choosing the Anglican denomination. Some areas a bit lower. So you know, you've still got some very strong um, connections with those uh, major denominations in Australia and, uh, and indeed, in a lot of cases, uh, above the, the no religion. Nonetheless, I think the census change will increase the no religion, will decrease the Christianity numbers. Um, if it fell below the 50%, that would be a, that would be a shock, gone from 61% to now minority status in Australia. But I think we'll end up with this data that you know more than half of all Australians uh, still end up identifying their religion, their faith as Christianity. And Mark, interestingly, and no doubt you would have read lots of uh, uh, sociology, uh, people who are uh, looking at uh, the religious values of people uh, in any context and particularly in Australia. But uh, when I've read some of those sorts of things, uh, while people might be identifying no religion, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not religious. In fact, mm. uh, the sorts of things I read uh, show that people are actually more religious than they've ever been. Uh, mm. what, do, what do you think about, uh, about people being religious, uh, despite yes. what, uh, what might appear in questions on a, on a census survey? Well, that's a really good point, and, and we know that a lot of people that are very strong Christians will actually, when asked, are you religious, they'll say, no, I'm not religious. I've, I've got a relationship with Jesus, or I'm a, I'm a Christian, or I'm a believer. So some very strong Christians, even in formal census forms and the like, will steer away from religion. Or they say, well, I'm not one of these denominations. I'm a Christian. You know, I'm a Christ follower. There's, there's other languages that they'll use. Now, that's that's great, and that's the way they communicate um, their faith. The problem in a census form is that they get picked up in the no-religion category because they're not wanting to identify any of those mainstream denominations. So you're right in saying that maybe there's an undercount uh, in some ways because you're getting a lot of people that you know, just don't use the term religion or denomination and so might be missed and might end up in the no-religion category, making that higher than otherwise it ought to be. But then I guess the other side is you've got a lot of people ticking one of the Christian denominations or other that aren't particularly active there. They're just saying, well, I mean, I was 
I think I was Anglican or Church of England, even some people use the old language, or, um, or hey, my parents were Catholic, so I guess that's the box for me. And so, you know, it does go both ways. It's certainly a good indicator, though, because if someone is, even if they're not active in any way with their faith, if they are ticking the box, it does show an identity. It does show something about what they're connecting with. And uh, we don't get that impression just day to day uh, when we hear the news or uh, interact with people that, that Christianity you know, is so strong or has such warmth. But the census data points that out. And it points out that uh, not only is it more than half of all the population, but the total proportion that said Christianity is eight times larger than all of the non-Christian religions combined, uh, which in total got to 7%. So uh, there's certainly growth in those other religions, um, and, and while there's decline in the proportion saying Christianity, but the gap between religion number one, Christianity at 61%, and religion number two, which is Buddhism, at 2.5%, is obviously a very big gap. And we put a lot of uh, focus on, of course, the national data that comes from the national census, but that's not the only indicator, is it? Because there are a number of different indicators. Uh, we've got the uh, the National Church Life Survey, which yeah. another one of those, those details no doubt will be coming out very soon as well. But uh, other indicators, you're looking at indicators all the time, Mark, uh, mm-hmm. and it's not just census data that gives us an impression of faith in Australia. Uh, how do you how do you view other indicators and their uh, impression? Are they showing similar things to what we're likely to see in the census? Yeah, they are, and, and that's a really good point to look at other indicators to give us a sense of where is the church at and how are we going connecting with our community. And uh, clearly, this decline, slow decline, the proportion identifying with Christianity on a census is one thing. Looking at the numbers of the population who attend church is another. And uh, while and uh, many people will see their churches are growing or maybe the number of churches in their denomination is increasing, uh, overall, it's not that way. In fact, if we go back four decades to the mid-1970s, we used to have 30% of the population attending church at least once a month or more. Uh, today, we've got half that proportion. We've got 15% of the population attending church at least once a month. Now, that's still some big numbers. Uh, That's about 3.6 million people that attend church on a regular basis, uh, any form of of church service. So that's uh, that's some big numbers. In fact, we did a little study recently looking at the total numbers of Australians over a month that will go to any footy game, because we often say that football is a religion in Australia. And if you look during the footy season, I'm talking all of those going to a a, a professional AFL match, uh, add to that the numbers going to the NRL. Uh, for those that are rugby league fans, you add up the total numbers in a month going to all of the A-League games and add to that the Super 7, so those into rugby union. You add up the total numbers in a month and we get about 2.3 million attending a game. And so what that means is there's 1.2 million more people going to church on a monthly basis than go to the footy. So it's a big number even though it's uh, 15% of the population and even though it's in some level of decline. And interesting to get national snapshots and even make those comparison to uh, other religions in Australia and you include sport in that, which is an amazing thing in itself. But is it the case, Mark, that when we're a part of a local church, uh, we can make an assessment of our own local church, whether it is in decline or whether it is flourishing? Because no doubt... Uh, people listening into our conversation today saying, uh, you know, I'm part of an absolutely fabulous, flourishing 
growing local church uh, involved in all sorts of incredible community and uh, mission activities. Uh, and then there'll be others who'll be saying, well, I'm a part of a church. Uh, you know, it's uh, people, people are getting older and, uh, and you know, where there's lots of funerals in our church and, uh, and the numbers seem to be diminishing. And so it really comes down to individual local churches as to, uh, as to how you might have an impression about whether Christianity is flourishing. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think it is good to look at the numbers, look at the statistics about our own churches, or or indeed just look around our church and see how that's going, because that does tell us a story and and maybe um, is a bit of an indicator into the health and the the flourishing nature of our church, or or maybe where work needs to be done. Uh, And just on that, you know, if we've got an ageing population, the, the midpoint in our population keeps getting older. So with that in mind, we've got to make sure that uh, is our church catering to, to older people and do we have older people there or is it just young people? But the other side of it is church should be for all generations and certainly engaging with that next generation. And so if the average age is up, um, how are we going connecting with young people and young families? And we know that nationally, the average age in our population, if we, if we find the midpoint of those 15 and over, let's say a 15-year-old starts to make their own choices about church going or anything else, In the total population, 15 plus, the average age, the midpoint, is 43. If you look at the church-going population, age 15 plus, the average age is 53. So the church is significantly older on average than the population. And uh, and that does highlight that we need to engage with young people and young families and, and really answer that relevance question. How are we communicating, connecting with them, and do they still see the relevance of our churches? In the past, and we don't have to go back very far. I was talking about the 1970s when almost a third of the population went. But if we go back just uh, a little bit further to the 19, late 1940s and early 1950s, we had almost half of the population of adults attending church regularly. So that's another clear trend line where people are less likely to go to church now than ever before in our history. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson, helping you make sense of life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. Award-winning social researcher and best-selling author Mark McCrindle is our guest. Mark leads McCrindle Research, and you can be a part of our conversation today on 1-800-316-316, something of a snapshot of the Australian Christian Church today. Mark, when you mention statistics like 15% of Australians actually do go to church And some of those are going to be uh, regular every week and some of those maybe once a month and perhaps even some of those uh, Easter and Christmas. Uh, But out of that 61%, there's 61% who actually say, uh, yes, I identify with Christianity. Uh, There would be a a big lot of people, wouldn't there, uh, in between the 15% and the 61 who actually do maintain a vibrant Christian faith, even though they may not be directly associated with a local church. Exactly, Neil. And uh, just some quick maths will tell us that that's the difference between those two figures is 46% of the entire population are saying Christianity but aren't in that group that go regularly to church. So that's sort of like the church that doesn't go to church. It's people that are warm towards Christian things, but perhaps uh, you know they're not part of the local place. And I think that that is a reminder of the importance of ministries, well, like Christian radio, like Vision, for example, uh, where there are people tuning in that maybe because of their age, maybe because of some bad experience or just their circumstances, they actually can't get along to church regularly or don't. Maybe um, just because they think, well, I don't need an institution to assist me in my Christian faith. And so they're, for whatever reason, in a category where they're still 
warm towards Christian things but, uh, but, but not going. Uh, and, and you've got other people there. Maybe you've got a whole category. In fact, I think it's a large proportion who maybe had some experience of Christian things growing up and certainly that's their identity, but uh, they haven't been to church in a long time or since they were kids and they're not about to start heading there. But, but when it comes to choosing a school for their kids, they want some Christian input. Uh, maybe they're happy to send their children to a Christian-based program of some form or other because they identify with those values. And that creates a great opportunity for our churches to be a go-to church. Uh, These 46% are unlikely to suddenly start attending church, but if our churches can actually connect with them, can be looking to uh, engage with them in various ways in the community, um, that's pretty you know, warm terrain uh, that already are, are warm towards the things of, um, of, uh, of Christianity. Interestingly, when we start to talk about other indicators, uh, you look for all of those good news stories, and you've touched on one that is so significant. I'm often astounded, even overwhelmed by the thought uh, that there is such a flourishing independent Christian school movement in Australia, and uh, you're saying that uh, parents uh, who may not actually be aligned themselves specifically with the local church, they want their children to have a Christian education. Uh, the whole idea of, uh, of Christian schooling is just, uh, is just a wonderful one, isn't it? It sure is, and it's a sector that is growing massively. In fact, we're now at the point where 40% of all students in Australia get sent to a non-government school. And the fastest growing component of those non-government schools are Christian schools. They're very massive. And, uh, and that's because parents, and keep in mind, they're having to pay for this. It's something that's free. They could send their children to a free you know, government school, but they're sending them to a Christian school. They're using their hard-earned dollars to do that because they actually believe in that. And, uh, and it's often the, the input, the, the, the Christian foundations, it's the values and character training that they want beyond purely the education. Uh, so, so I think that's an indicator that Australians still are looking for and appreciate Christian foundations and values. Uh, we've got the chaplains program across schools in Australia and, and, uh, and you know, we've seen the community support for chaplains in their local government school. Uh, and that's because, again, parents recognise the importance of this and they're not as secular-minded or wanting to separate Christianity from all things as much as sometimes those that, uh, that maybe um, lobby strongly might, uh, might want us to believe. When we look at the age at which people make their first faith decision, we've got to keep in mind that it's in those younger years when people are starting to explore these things. In fact, the National Church Life Survey data shows that four in five people that make a faith decision, that, that are part of a church, did so before the age of 20. And so it is these prime, prime years as people are thinking about the big issues in life and worldviews and what's true and what's not that they do start to make these decisions. And I think it's through great leaders and influencers and, of course, parents as number one. Mum is the biggest influencer of uh, showing someone what faith is all about, a dad, a, a close number two. And then you've got the pastor and then you've got scripture teachers and chaplains. These are the four biggest influencers as we, uh, as we think through the important issues of life. And in fact, I heard of recent times when it comes to people who are uh, religious instruction uh, uh, presenters, uh, that this is actually the biggest volunteer group in all of Australia, the people who actually teach religious instruction. It's, it's a powerful influence. And if you couple that with the idea of chaplains... Uh, who are a little bit like pastors uh, within mm -hmm. a school context. Uh, mm -hmm. And this is state schools we're talking about, not just yes. uh, Christian schools. There's a tremendous influence in that. There sure is. And, 
you know, we need to uh, be clear, and, and I think it's something to be applauded, that this is not some sneaky way of, of evangelizing. It's people that have a vibrant Christian faith that want to live that out and serve the children in their local community, regardless of the, of the, the children's background or faith, that the chaplains are available to help, the pastoral matters that they assist with, again, and not just religious conversations or issues of, of Christianity alone, but, but a lot of important issues. We've done research for the chaplaincy um, programs nationally and looked at the impacts they're having in schools. is very positive, and that's why it's supported by, uh, you know, our, our mainstream federal government. Um, and religious education instructors offer this important input into the children's lives so they can learn about Christianity. Whatever they decide on all that, wherever they, they end up, that's, that's their decision. But I think it is important in a country where the majority of people, as we've just heard, will tick Christianity, that they know a little bit about what is the dominant religion. And, uh, and, and so many of the institutions that we have, of course, have that Christian foundation. So it just helps with your national literacy, with your understanding of history of this place, and, and of course, uh, um, hopefully those values and, uh, and foundations, uh, if, uh, if children can get some understanding of this, again, regardless of their own particular persuasion. And Mark, just quickly, as we reflect on the Christian schools, those independent schools, and uh, you were saying that 40% of those schools now are Christian uh, independent schools and so so many students are going there and even though parents are not necessarily church aligned they're sending their kids there but the interaction that happens through a, a school community is very significant isn't it because not only are there newsletters not only is there the fellowship of parents who are uh, befriending one another because their children are in the same class. Uh, mm. Not only is there uh, all of those celebrations that families are invited to, and when you have a, a school celebration, thousands of people turn out oftentimes uh, for concerts and for Christmas gatherings and all mm-hmm. sorts of things like that. The influence of the Christian school upon the non-church-going parents is so super significant. It sure is, and that's why, again, it's not just the churchgoers that are sending their kids to Christian schools uh, but it's indeed the broader community. That's where the big growth is because they're recognising that they want some foundation for their children. They don't just want them to grow up and uh, work it all out for themselves or, or, or just have some some secular or indeed agnostic worldview, but want them to look into these things that are so important. These used to be the three R's of education, but a lot of Christian schools have the three C's. And, uh, and I like that, They're this first C of the competence. You know, these are great schools that deliver great results and that obviously teach the national curriculums and, uh, and do that very well so the children have the competence. But the, the second C is what parents do look for and it's, it's the character development so their children can thrive in changing times and have the values that will sustain them. It's one thing to do well in maths but if you don't have integrity, it's one thing to be good at English but if, if we, we don't have the right character formation that's not going to help us in life or a job. But, but the third C of course is that that is founded in, in the teaching of Christ and, and we have found that uh, that Australians are warm towards Jesus. You know, there's acknowledgement that he was a, a great person. Mark, uh, I'll need to cut in because we're about to go to news. Uh, encouraging listeners, we'll continue this conversation beyond the news. Our talkback line open, one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. Mark McCrindle, award-winning social researcher and best-selling author, our guest here on 2020. Uh, Mark, as we talk about the church, as we talk about a snapshot of Christian belief here in Australia... 
Uh, we were talking about schools, and I'm not sure whether we completed our conversation, but schools are a huge impact when it comes to Christianity. And as you talked about uh, the 40% of schools now that are independent Christian schools, uh, for a lot of people that's quite a surprising statistic to hear. But Australians do have this inclination towards things Christian, and that's something that is for some quite a surprise. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and well, the, the 40% of students who go to non-government schools, there's a big proportion of those that go to Catholic schools, and then there are some that are, are non-religious schools. But uh, as I said, the faster growing proportion of that 40% are the Christian schools. And that does line up with the, the, the census data that we discussed and, uh, and just show the warmth of, of Christianity. And we found that uh, when you ask Australians what do they think of the church, 88% say the church is good for our community. So people do see the benefits of churches in their communities. They see that uh, whether it's a local charity or, or outreach to those that uh, are in need, uh, we know that, uh, that much of the healthcare system, uh, much of the education system, again, has the Christian foundation to it. So Australians recognise the good work of the church in their communities. It's just that they are less likely to go these days. So again, you know, good, good positive um, connection the church has, not, not universally positive, and the church has, uh, has uh, got some issues, uh, of course, and uh, both historically and contemporarily, and, and in terms of communicating effectively. Uh, the big, one of the big pushbacks is, well, I just don't see the relevance of the church for me. But at least there's that recognition at a starting point that the church is good for our community. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Our natural inclination when we're talking about getting a snapshot of the church is to talk about numbers and the number of people in the community that go along to their local church. But there's another way of looking at this, isn't there? Because we can talk about the people in the church going to the community. And I wonder whether there's uh, any reflection that you have on the way that the church actually interacts uh, with the community. Is there uh, any way, a statistical way of actually being able to say, you know what, the church is having a huge impact. And I mean, we're talking about schools and we're talking about RI and we're talking about chaplaincy, all those things. But, but the church going to the community, what are your thoughts, Mark? Yeah, I think a lot of Australian churches have uh, been on this journey of recent years and recognised that, okay, people aren't suddenly going to walk up on a Sunday morning and walk in the doors of our church. We can't just expect that by putting our banner out the front or our notice or even having the website that it's automatically going to lead to people walking in the door. Maybe we should be a go-to church rather than a, a come-to church. Now, of course, you know, the, the, the warm welcome is there and we encourage people to come and we have those invitation Sundays or those events where we really work hard to, to bring people in and, and to let them see what we what we have going. But, uh, but, but maybe there's other ways of also connecting with those who even then aren't going to turn up and, uh, and that's by connecting in the community. When we surveyed Australians nationally and we asked them, what, which of these institutions for you is, uh, is, is a place of community connection? And uh, we found that 5% said the local church, that's where they connect with their community. Even more said a local community centre, even above that was a local pub or club. Um, but the biggest of all was the local shopping centre. That has become the biggest crossroads of our community. That's the new civic square, if you like. Uh, we go to the shops uh, on average just over two times per week. It's the modern marketplace, of course. And, and that's just an example that if the church is, uh, is, is just doing its thing in the corner of the community, it's probably not front and centre of people's activities 
compared to what it used to be. But if we can connect in these other spaces, can find a way of interacting, that's, that's going to be very positive. And you know, we read Paul's strategy in Acts 17 when he was in Athens, and he, he, he said he went to the synagogue to, to connect with the, the God-fearing Greeks and the Jews there. But, but then he went to the marketplace with those who happened to be there. He said wherever, wherever people were, uh, such was his passion for the gospel and his desire to share good news, he, uh, he went to where they were rather than just expected them to come to him. Mark, let me take you just a step deeper than uh, statistical analysis here because when we talk about the shopping centre, and you know, a couple of, week, couple of times a week we're all going to the shops and uh, it's become the new centre of community and you're referring to it as it's like the marketplace. Uh, there's an interesting question here to pose to you because uh, when Jesus said you can't serve two masters, he's talking about God and mammon. Mm. Uh, the idea of uh, consumerism, of uh, the things that we buy, uh, the materialistic mindset that we tend to have, uh, there is a sense, isn't there, in which uh, when we talk about the shopping centre and we talk about the, the local church, uh, we want people to actually, as Christian leaders, we want people to actually align with the local church. But we have a challenge here because people are aligning with the shopping centre mentality rather than the spirituality of the local church. I imagine there's a spirituality at the shopping centre as well. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on, on the way that, uh, that the, uh, the, the shopping centre has become sort of the new marketplace, the new centre point of gathering, even the central mm. point of meaning for people? Well, exactly. And materialism and consumerism is rampant in our society and, uh, and causes debt and, 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 uh, and of course, is a, is a desire that will never be satisfied. So it's a, it's a dead-end road if we think that that is the source of life and happiness. Uh, indeed, it has become the new place of worship for Sunday, you know, people are going to spend their dollars uh, in the shopping centre. So it's not at all about saying, well, the church should compete with that in terms of, uh, you know, getting into those spaces for commercial reasons. I think the exact opposite, and we, we all know the story when Jesus was very um, agitated and overturned the the tables when they were turning the, the synagogue into a marketplace. So it's, it's not about that, but it is about being where the people are and giving them uh, at the place where they are, um, some real answers. And I think our society is more isolated and disconnected than ever before. Community has never been as as weak uh, as it is these days. People are more um, individualised and uh, the social media hasn't solved it. We, we're growing, growing in our population, yet we're, we're moving more frequently with uh, more mobility, with more people renting, not owning, and we just don't know our neighbours as well as was the case. And yet the church provides community and connection and engagement and meaning and purpose and hope you know, beyond the dollar and beyond the cynicism of marketing and commercialism. And I think, therefore, the church should, should be where the people are and, and offering something a bit more lasting than just yet another pur- purchase. So, so I think there are some, some great uh, opportunities for the church. And if our society is saying the reason they don't go to church is, and we found this in our research, number one, it's not relevant to my life and uh, it's an outdated style, then maybe you know, we can put on events that are going to connect more these days. We can run input and, uh, and provide opportunities to connect on those felt needs that uh, Australians have, um, contribute to our communities, of course, and, uh, and, and hopefully in all of that, uh, live the gospel and offer the gospel uh, to a, a society that uh, is really in great need. And when we think of the, uh, the image of the church, I mean, there is, uh, for some, an image problem because of things like uh, the, uh, 
the National uh, Inquiry into uh, Sexual Abuse uh, in Churches. Uh, it creates an image issue. But when we talk about ordinary people, I mean, some people will say, uh, you know, that is a major uh, issue and it does need to be dealt with. And I'm one of those says that, uh, you know, get it all out in the open mm. uh, so that it can heal and so that there can be a freshness and a newness. Uh, but for some people, it's like, uh, well, there's a perception there that maybe if I'm out in the community representing my local church that somehow or other people have got this very bad impression of the church. But not everybody in the community has a bad impression of the church. In fact, lots of people, Mark, think that the church is actually doing wonderful things in the community. Is there any statistical basis for that? Yeah, there is. And that figure I mentioned earlier, how almost nine in 10 Australians say that the church is good for their community, is an example of that. And uh, the church certainly has to accept and own and respond these terrible situations that have taken place and needs to be clear and set up systems that there is no abuse in any form and uh, and can be uh, an institution that really adds and supports and serves our community rather than um, than than the problems that that have persisted um, so I think that's that's important but when we survey Australians and ask them what are your hang-ups with the church we do hear that word hypocrisy that comes out and I think the Royal Commission has has shown some of that hypocrisy we also hear another word though and that's exclusivity that the church is just doing its thing and they've got their little church club and we're not part of it and, and, and we don't really sort of see what they do and so that's that's a problem as well. So we have to come out of those church doors and engage and give and serve. Um, and uh, and the other one is, the, the, the other pushback area is authority. And a lot in the community say the church is particularly historically being very authoritarian. And, and, and of course, for most church leaders, that's not at all what they want to be about or, uh, or do any you know, heavy Bible bashing or preaching at people, but they just want to share the good news. And I think if we can understand what the community thinks of the church and what some of the perceptions are, then we're in a good position to proactively respond to that and, and hopefully in openness and uh, authentic way show who we really are and, uh, and so better engage and serve this diverse modern community. Is this something that every local church really needs to take a deeper, longer look at, Mark? The idea of you present those sorts of reasons as reasons why uh, people might not go to church or their perceptions of church, uh, that, uh, you know, when you've got leadership gatherings uh, within local churches, to be able to talk about some of these things, what is the perception of our church? Does it look like some of those things that you've been talking about? Uh, something that we all ought to be perhaps engaging in a little more, a little more introspection to see uh, what we think perceptions are so that we can change things so that those perceptions are altered in the community. Yeah, totally. You know, if we can... If we can understand what the community thinks, and sometimes people can run surveys or just have chats with those in the community or just look at the data, that helps them therefore know how can they more effectively respond and uh, meet the needs of an ever-changing society. Um, even looking at, well, the area around us has been changing culturally, and yet we look in the church and we don't look like our community does, so that might tell us we've got a, a disconnection that we need to look at. Uh, even the needs that people have, and uh, we found in our studies that people say, oh, the spiritual needs in my life are at the end of the list. There's People, you know, the number one thing people want is emotional and mental well-being, and then relational health, and then the financial health and physical health and well-being, vocational. These are the things that are front of mind with the spiritual at the end. But, but of course, church and the Bible and uh, the relationships that come through those healthy interactions do help us relationally and emotionally and get our finances in the right priorities and perspectives and live you know, vocationally effectively so that we can add value where we are. And of course, 
following Jesus transforms all of those areas. And uh, it's not just about a spiritual or religious need, but of course the wholesale transformation that hopefully um, true Christianity gives. And, and I think that's where the community uh, doesn't quite uh, understand or hasn't had a good model of, uh, of, of modern Christians and, and perhaps what the church can assist with. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Award-winning social researcher and best-selling author Mark McCrindle, our guest, as we've been getting a snapshot of the Christian church in Australia. Uh, Mark, let's uh, quickly take a call. Graham is in Tasmania. Hello, Graham. Welcome along. Hello. Hello, Neil. Uh, Look, this world, the Bible tells you that we're deceived and there are so many of us wanting to get close to God, and the closest to God is your Bible, that's inspired Word of God. We need to get into that, really study it to know the backbone, the spiritual backbone. And this is our ministers to know really what God wants of us, what to uphold, to walk in His way, to be at peace with our fellow man. And uh, th- this is the way to God, the Bible itself. Graham, good thoughts in there. A response from Mark McCrindle. Is there sort of a statistical basis for our engagement with the Bible? I know there's been some research about these sorts of things over the years. Yeah, well, I mean, we're, we're still in a, a country where there are such freedoms and uh, to distribute Bibles. And, and, of course, it is key for for developing people's faith, uh, I'm um, ever uh, amazed and, uh, and and feel great that you wherever you check into a hotel or motel, there chances are is a Bible still on the bedside, and in the military they're distributed, chaplains in prisons, and uh, workers in schools distribute Bibles, and so you know we've got uh, we've got great distribution there, and the Gideons and Bible Society, you know, working in this in this nation, which is excellent, um, and of course even our federal parliament starts with the Lord's Prayer every day, so. So uh, you know that's that's still part of our culture, and, uh, and and we ought not lose that, and hopefully continue that for this next generation, so they too you know, have access to to the word. Thank you so much to Graham from Tasmania for your input today here on 2020, and just a uh, just a short time uh, in our conversation remaining, Mark. I want to uh, I want to come back to some of the things that we were mentioning in this past uh, segment just earlier. Uh, where we talked about, you know, having a perception of the community uh, from the local church perspective, uh, and then the idea of of being an influence in the local community, and really what you touched on was just so significant, uh, having some sort of understanding of your community so that you can effectively engage. Uh, now, there are, of course, as we were saying, uh, census uh, data details that will be coming out in April. Uh, there'll also be this year the National Church Life Survey. And uh, you have some of your own research, too, that uh, from time to time appears uh, in your blogs. Uh, is it easy to access for people to actually get a, a bit of a snapshot of things that are happening, the sorts of things we're talking about today? Yeah, it is. And we spend a lot of time looking at the Australian Bureau of Statistics data and National Church Life Survey and other data sets just to uh, to look at the changes in Australia, to look at the trends, and we process that and try to put that in visual forms to make it easier to understand. So we put a lot of it on our blog, and that's mccrindle.com.au. You'll, you'll find that there, and you can search through all that much as possible. It's all freely accessible there. Uh, so, uh, so, yeah, there might be some good resources there. And, of course, as the census data and Church Life Survey data comes out, we'll be analysing that, or you can grab the raw data from those websites. Okay, mccrindle.com.au. Now, for people who do go to access that, and I imagine there'll be people who'll 
uh, pass it on to their local pastor or to uh, elders or leaders in their church and uh, might pass this sort of detail on. If you get a hold of this sort of thing and you say, well, uh, maybe we need to look a bit deeper into this, um, this is the sort of thing that ought to be discussed. Should it be just a leadership discussion or should it be a wider discussion within the whole of the local church? Yeah, well, I think you know the leaders might want to start gathering that information, looking at it, working out where they're at and where the trends are and how they can be effective. Uh, but, uh, but beyond that, uh, sometimes surveying the church can be a great way of finding out where things are at and the, the, the level of spirituality of those in the congregation or some issues that uh, the leadership may not have been aware of, uh, involving them in the discussion. A lot of churches I've been involved in where they've had a survey process that then shared the results of the survey with the church for discussion and, and to encourage them to help solve some of those problems or be involved. And so, uh, you know, it's a great process of involving the church, leading the church, of course, but involving the church in, in all of these areas. And often data does help us see the picture and tell the story. Do you think sometimes uh, we don't want to see the data because we don't want to admit that we're making mistakes uh, or that we've actually got some things wrong that needs changing or that somehow or other we don't ask people what they really think because maybe they'll come up with some negatives and that'll, you know, we don't want to stir up a hornet's nest. There is, uh, there is some positives in actually having a forum where those negatives can come forth. Uh, hmm. What are your thoughts on, on people actually making an assessment of their local church, given that there are statistics, and asking those questions of their leaders? Yes, I think it's important. And I know in churches uh, some people can get a bit uh, sensitive about these sorts of things or even thinking about trends and strategy because they'll say, well, you know, we don't want to change what we teach. We don't want to change uh, the values. And of course, it's not about that at all. The, the, the Bible is timeless and the gospel doesn't change. But... I like Paul when he writes to the church at Colossians. He says, pray that God will open a door for the message and pray that I might proclaim it clearly as I should. And that clear proclamation does change in terms of the strategies and the styles and the events. Uh, the message doesn't, but the style of engagement does. And we can do that most effectively when we understand the, the statistics or the trends of what's happening around us. And, and, uh, and then I think, you know, the output uh, will, be, will be better uh, because people will actually connect with it. And Mark, just in these uh, last couple of minutes, uh, we've been talking about the church and we've been talking about significant things, who goes to church, but also the sorts of effects that the church has on the broader community. And and I think for a lot of people who've been listening to our conversation this past hour, it'll be uh, such a relief to hear that there is just a wonderful interaction that's happening in so many contexts uh, with the local church. Uh, I suspect that there would be some who would be who would be thinking that uh, that local church is perhaps uh, badly represented or badly uh, the image is uh, is not really uh, accurate for uh, the sorts of uh, impact that the local church is having. Uh, when we come to uh, the local church, and we did mention, and you're the statistician, you're telling us what it looks like. Uh, but is there benefit actually in if you are one of those people uh, in that sort of 46 percent uh, uh, of people who are perhaps still Christian maintaining a vibrant faith but not part of a local church? Is it worthwhile for those who perhaps are able to to actually get involved with their local church because there is more effectiveness perhaps for your Christian faith if you have an avenue by which you can work? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I totally agree with that. And we all, you know, if someone is searching and seeking, well, a starting point, of course, is just the, the community and to be able to ask questions and to connect with others and to interact and uh, and just that very 
part of belonging and interaction is a key uh, importance as well, beyond, of course, the spiritual journey. But uh, but I think by attending church, by going along, by connecting up, um, it's really going to help us on, on our journey, on our search, um, and that's important as well. And and I would say to those people, give, give church a second go. Maybe it's been a few years. Maybe you had a bad experience or maybe the place you went wasn't quite as relevant. Well, most churches have websites now. You can start to look around and see whether you think it's going to resonate with you and go along and, and check it out. Uh, I think most people will find that the church they go to will be welcoming and warm and probably the opposite of all those things they expected uh, and that, that research that I found. They, they won't be authoritarian but it'll be very welcoming and they won't be exclusive. They, they want others to come along and they won't be hypocritical but uh, you know, beggars that have found bread is uh, what an ancient theologian once said Christians are and they want to share that bread with others. Well Mark, always just invaluable, wonderful insights into uh, these issues to do with the church. Uh, Mark McCrendle, our guest, leading social researcher and I'll point listeners to the website McCrendle crindle.com.au and uh, we mentioned uh, things in an introduction uh, when we talk about influential thought leader uh, regularly commissioned to deliver strategy and advice to boards and executive committees of some of Australia's leading organisations and uh, Mark no doubt people will be able to make contact with you on your website too if they want you to be a guest speaker or if they want more specific uh, and detailed research that you're able to provide that. And so pointing people to that website, mccrindle.com.au. Mark, thanks so much for joining us today on 2020. Oh, it was a joy. Thanks so much, Neil. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.